Good morning. I hope everybody's ready to praise God. Let's all stand. Let's sing to God be the glory. Him who died for thee and him. 
Good morning and welcome to Rosebauer Baptist Church. If you're a visitor, we're glad to have you. If you look in the pew in front of you, there should be a welcome card. If you want to fill that out and place it in the offering when it comes by, we appreciate that. Um, our August focus verses are Psalm 95, 6 through 8, and that says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Um, if you don't have one of these yet, they are on the welcome table out here in the foyer. Uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you let us all gather in, in your house to worship you, Lord. I pray over this offering that you just use it to uh, to your will, Lord, and whatever needs you see arise. I pray over this next hour of worship, Lord, that you just speak through Justin and open our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to continue in worship. The ushers are coming down the aisle to pick up offering. Uh, we're going to raise sing, Is He Worthy? And, uh, you know, we, we come every Sunday, we come in into God's house, and we, we sing songs, and, uh, you know, the best way to worship God is to think of, of all the, the things in, in your life that, that he has blessed you with. Salvation, your families, the good health, um, just the life that we get to live, you know, and, and that thankfulness cultivates uh, a spirit of worship. So let's all stand. Let's think about how God, how good God is to us and how worthy he is of worship. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish? 
wish that you could see it all made new. We do. This old creation groaning, it is. Is a new creation coming, it is. And is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Conquered the grave. He saved his root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of Father truly love us, He does. Does the Spirit move among us, He does. And is Jesus our Messiah, hold forever those He loves, He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us?
kids line up at the door it's time for children's church we're going to worship with one more song today
Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and this time to gather together and hear your word. I pray that you would just quiet our hearts before you in this moment. I pray that you would help us to be open to what you would have for us. I pray that you would be with Justin, just give him peace, and may your Holy Spirit work through him and use him as a vessel to deliver the message that we need to hear, and may our hearts be open and receptive to that message. In your holy name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll begin reading together in verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 3 in just a moment. As you're turning there, like we are currently in our reading plan of reading through the New Testament together as a church. Uh, and I pray that it has been helpful to you, that it's been encouraging and edifying to you um, as we've been reading together and as we've been studying together, as we've been preaching on it, and we've been talking about it on Wednesday nights. And then also another endeavor we have this particular year is having discipleship partners that we're reaching out to and kind of holding accountable, uh, asking about their reading, how we can pray for them, uh, how we, what's going on in their life and things of that nature. And so I encourage you to continue to touch base with your uh, discipleship partner. And if your discipleship partner has fallen off the boat, and has not responded to you, and just every time you ask, to say, have you read? No, no, no. And, and is not really uh, engaged with you this year. Will you see me, and I will help you find someone uh, to be a partner for the rest of the year, and then we'll look again into next year and things of that nature, because it's really important. Part of the discipleship walk is having a brother or sister in Christ that we can ask to help burden our, or bear the burdens that we have in our life, with prayer. And you can reach out to him and say, hey, pray for me on this day that this is going on at work or this is going on in my family or this is going on with my friends and things like that. And having someone that can pray for you is so powerful uh, as being a child of God. And so I want to encourage you to continue with your discipleship partner. I'm so thankful for mine um, and for his family and, and just the brother in Christ he is. And he... he uh, causes me to be a better man, a better believer every day just by how he responds to his everyday walk, how he's constantly in the Word, how he's constantly praying and growing in the Lord. And that is an encouragement to me, a motivation to me for me to continue to grow. And, to, and so I pray that that is the case with you and your discipleship partner as well. And if you're needing a discipleship partner, let me know and we will help you with that. But this morning, we come to 1 Timothy. Uh, it's a section of the Bible that's known as the Pastoral Epistles, which is nothing more than Paul writing a letter to, a, to some pastors. And the letter we're looking at this morning that Paul is writing is to Timothy. Timothy is Paul's son 
in the faith. That's who he calls him anyway, my son in the faith, who I'm sure that Paul had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord, to disciple him, to train him, to teach him, and now he's gone off and he is pastoring a church that he has been, uh, that, that is the calling of God on his life. And then Timothy, at this time, he is referred to by Paul in a couple of different ways in our reading that we've learned this week. Three ways that he refers to uh, Timothy is timid, fearful, and sickly. Timid, fearful, and sickly. He's a young pastor who's struggling, having difficulties, and he's writing to encourage him. See, Timothy is about 40 years old at this time. Nearly all of the people that attend Timothy's church is older than Timothy. He's trying to lead a group of older believers, and he's ran into some difficulties. He's having a hard time leading them. And so Paul is writing to encourage him. So if you'll stand to your feet, we're going to read together God's most holy word. In verse 3, the word of God says this, Paul to Timothy. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in the faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love, from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for prejudicers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Let's stop there just for a moment and pray for God's help. Lord Jesus, we pray now by the power of your Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd bind Satan from this place. Lord, I pray that your word would go forward. And Lord, may we be a people that not only hear your word, but may we obey your word. You know every heart that is in this room this morning, and I pray that you use your word to speak and to minister to them in the way that only you can. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul, writing to Timothy, Timothy being in a tough spot, struggling in the ministry, having a hard time, Paul begins in verse 3 and says this, Stay where you are. He says, remain in Ephesus. Like when I went to Macedonia, I told you. And he says, remain in Ephesus. Stay where you are. I thought this was encouraging or interesting to see because I can only imagine, in my mind, Timothy being discouraged, Timothy being frustrated, Timothy encountering difficulties, 
with leading and pastoring a, a, a church that he was wanting to give up, he was wanting to give in, he was wanting to quit. Because let me share with you, some of God's greatest blessings you will ever experience in your life is God's people. The love of God's people. The encouragement from God's people. But I want to submit to you as well, some of the greatest discouragement in life comes from God's people. Sometimes we're mean to one another. Sometimes we say harsh and unkind words to one another. Sometimes we beat people down from time to time. Present company excluded. Right? None of those people are here. They're all out there, right? Now, what we learn in the, in the Bible is that God's people are great blessings. But it's sometimes we allow Satan to use us and we beat down other God's people. And that's where Timothy was. He was being beaten down in the ministry. Because ministry is difficult, frustrating, hard at times. He's struggling. Timothy's ready to quit, give up, move on. Saying it's not worth it here. But Paul says this. Remain where you are. Teaching him that you don't move on when things get hard. You don't move on when things get difficult, difficult or frustrating. But instead, do what you've been called to do by God Almighty. Continue to share. And that's what he's going to share in 1 Timothy. The theme of this letter is how to be an effective church and how to be an effective believer. That's, that's what he has given instruction. This is like a manual for us at the local church. It is an instruction for us how to function. For worship, for doctrine, for leadership, for prayer, for men and women in the roles in the church. A key verse, the main point of the letter is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, where it says this, I write to you so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar and the ground of truth. That is the thesis, that is the main point of his letter that he is writing to Timothy of how to function as a church and how to function as a believer. And so this letter teaches us what should be true about our church and what should be true as us, with us as a believer in order to reach the world for Christ. He's saying this is instructions of how to be a body of believers that, is a, that, that will reach the world for Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives us those instructions. And so there's three things that I want you to see from this letter in our time together this morning for us to consider, which is not only true about us as a church, but must also be true about us as a believer. The first one is this. The, the church must be a place of truth. The church must be a place of truth. And like I said just a moment ago, what is true for the church should also be true for us as a believer. Not only this place must be a place of truth, but we as God's people must be a people of truth. We must be a person of truth. That is a person of God's Word. His holy, infallible, inspired, inerrant word. That's what we must stand up for. That's what we must believe. And that's what we must 
teach. You see, false teaching had worked its way in the church of Ephesus. And Paul is writing to him and tell him to speak against this false teaching. You see, false teaching is anytime you add to the Word of God, anytime you subtract from the Word of God, or anytime where you omit certain pieces of the Word of God. Right? That in and of itself, that's what Satan is really good at. Satan is really good at quoting parts of Scripture. But he's omitting certain parts of Scripture. And that would be a false teaching. And so that's what's going on here at the church of Ephesus with Timothy in the church that he's pastoring. And Paul commands him to stand strong and teach the true word of God. You see, there had been some, a group that came in, that were teaching the law. The law is the way of salvation. The law is the way of, of God. The law is the way to live. But he teaches him to stand on the Word of God. This is a very similar command we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which we'll be reading in the week to come, where Paul says to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God to preach the Word in season and out of season. For a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But instead, they will want to hear things that make them feel good about themselves. They will want to, you to tickle their ears, is what he says. But instead, until your dying day, teach the full counsel of God's most holy word. No matter who doesn't like it, no matter who doesn't want to hear it, no matter who doesn't come anymore because you don't want the word, he says, rightly divide the word of God. Because the house of God should must be a place of truth. And the only truth we have is God's most holy word. It's meant to be this place where we come together is meant to place to hear the word of God. It's not a place to go and to feel good about ourselves. Although the word of God will encourage you, edify you, build you up, strengthen you. But it's not a place that we go just to feel good about ourselves in our situation that we're in if it's sinful uh, nature. It's not a place to feel good about yourself. It's a place to hear from God, to know Him a better, in a better way, to grow in our faith and to strengthen our faith. This place must be a place of truth. It's the only way it's a place of truth is to teach God's most holy word. You see... They had a group of people coming in teaching the law and all the way saying the law was the way of salvation. And he said they were using the law wrong. The law is good. The law has a purpose for it's God's law, right? And that's what we see in the Old Testament. But the purpose of the law was to reveal our sinful nature and that we are in need of a Savior. The law has no ability or power to save the, power, the law only has the ability to reveal our sinful nature. I heard one commentator put it like this, that the law is much like a thermometer, right? A thermometer is what we put in our mouth that reveals how our body temperature is, right? And if it comes out 102, it tells us that we have a temperature and that we are sick, that we need to see a doctor, right? That's what the law of God does. The law of God shows us that we are sick and we need to see the great physician. 
that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. You could work from now until your dying day and you can never do enough good in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. The only way to heaven is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, confessing that you're a sinner and believing upon the name of Jesus and that He would forgive your sins and save you from a devil's hell. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I deserve it. Not because I work for it and I work really, really hard. It's because Jesus died for it. And now I'm saved by His amazing grace. One, this must be a place of truth, which is the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, this must be a place of grace. Grace. Look beginning now in verse 12. It says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Stop there. There's no accident here that Paul after he gets done speaking about the importance of being a place of truth, he then goes on to talk about being a place of grace. <laughs> because you can't separate the truth. The truth of God involves the grace of God, and the grace of God involves the truth of God. And so Paul here begins to share his testimony. And he says the truth is this, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And when it comes to sinners, I'm the worst of them all. I was a blasphemer. I persecuted believers. I condoned and ordered believers to be killed because of their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to sinners, there is no one worse than me, but I found mercy because of what Jesus has done for me. And he says that if I have found mercy, there's no one who can't find mercy at the feet of Jesus. If I've been saved by God's grace, then there's no one who can't be saved by God's amazing grace. And if Jesus comes to offer grace to sinners and the worst of them all, then we as God's people must offer and share that same grace that has been shared with us. We must share it to a lost and sinful world. To those around us. To those in this community. This place must be a place of grace. And not only but this be a place of grace, but we must be a person of grace. We're grace and kind in the way that we deal with people. The way that we talk to people. The way that we love people. We are kind and compassionate and loving because we know the person that we're talking to has been made in the image of God and that God loves this individual no matter how lost they may be, no matter what sin they find themselves in. They are cared for so much so that God sent His only Son to die on the cross 
for their sin. And just as God has shared grace with them, we are to share grace as well. When we enter into this place, it should be a place of grace, kindness, compassion, love. That you know that you can always come here and find the grace of God. Paul says, instead of wrath that I deserved, I received mercy. Not only mercy, but grace. Grace that overflowed from Jesus with faith and love. Verse 16 says this, For Jesus demonstrated long-suffering. That is, Jesus demonstrated patience with us and our sin. Why? As a pattern for those who will believe on Him and have everlasting life. This This place must be a place of truth and it also must be a place of grace. This place is not a place for those who are perfect. This place is not a place for those who have it all together. This place is for sinners who are in need of a Savior's grace. And we as believers, just as Jesus has shared with us His grace, we are to share others the grace of God that He has shared with us. And we must have a pattern that Jesus has shared. That's what He says, that He offers this grace as a pattern for those who will believe upon the name of Jesus that as an example for us to follow. It's a place of truth. It's a place of grace. For love without truth is not truth. Truth without love is not truth. But truth with love is a representation of the grace that God offers to any and all who will call upon the name of Jesus. Instead, He's called us as believers, instead of looking down when someone falls in their sin, when someone's struggling with their sin, when someone continues in their sin, it's so easy for us in our natural flesh to write them off, give up on them, and quit. But then Jesus, with His long-suffering, continually offers grace to any and all who would call upon His name. And Jesus pursues every sinner. Because did you notice here that it says God's greatest desire is for the sinner to be saved? Right? So that means God is constantly pursuing those who are in their sins, that are lost and undone, inviting them to receive His mercy and grace. He never gives up. He never quits. He constantly pursues and He's eager to forgive anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. He's not just willing, but He's eagerly willing to forgive the sins of those who've who've fallen in sinful ways. And so when we as believers see sin in society, when we see sin in others, we don't look down on others and say, how dare you? How could you? How long? I can't believe you did something like that. But instead, when we see sin in society and we see sin in others, it should break our hearts. And move us with compassion and understand the only reason it's not us in that sin is only by the grace of God. Because left to myself, that's exactly where I'd be. Left to my flesh, that's exactly where I would be. But it's only by the grace of God, it's not me. So sinners and saints alike, 
are in need of God's grace. And this must be a place of truth. This must be a place of grace. And then thirdly, this must be a place of prayer. Look in chapter 2. It says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Stop there just for a moment. Jesus, while he was on this earth, said this should be a house of prayer. That God's house should be a house of prayer. And if God's house is meant to be a house of prayer, that means prayer must be a priority in our lives as a believer and in our church. Must be a priority. What he's telling us here and teaching us here is that prayer is not just a filler in our service to get from one segment to the next. To just get to the offering or through the offering. Just get from the Bible reading to the preaching. That just get from the dismissal out to the parking lot. Prayer is not a filler in a service. Prayer is a time to quieten our hearts before the Lord. Focus on God, our Heavenly Father. Connect with Him. It's a time to be with our Lord. It's not an obligation in our faith that we have to do. It's not a set of repeated words that we just recite time in and time again because we're supposed to. It's a time to get quiet before the Lord. And to invite Him to speak into our hearts, to make us aware of the things that are going on in our life, to protect us from the spiritual warfare that is going on right now that we can't even see, that He's constantly protecting us from, to bind us from Satan and Himself, to constantly lead us, guide us, and direct us. He tells us in our text that we must pray for all people so that they know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. For this is God's desire for them to be saved. And if it's God's desire for them to be saved, then it must be our desire as God's people for them to be saved. Right? If it's truly our desire, it will cause us to pray for those who don't know Jesus. It will be a priority in our life to pray for those who don't know Jesus. And then he even makes reference to our leaders. Pray for those who are in leadership, those elected officials. Pray that God would save them. Pray that God would lead them. Pray that God would use them. Pray that the Lord would help your heart and your relation to them because sometimes the people are in office we don't like. Pray that God will help your heart 
as you don't like them, but you want them to know Jesus and you want them to lead in a godly way. Pray that they may be saved. Pray for our leaders. For the heart of the king, the heart of the president is in the hand of our Lord. And the Lord has a way of directing all people, saved and unsaved. He can use them for His purpose, for His glory. So it says pray for them. For God is in control of all things. And get this, it says when we commit and pray and commit all these things over to God, He says this is good and pleasing to the Lord. And he says, as we pray, here's the benefit that will come to you. You will receive a greater measure of peace, godliness, and holiness. A greater measure of peace, godliness, and holiness. And then verse 8, it says, men, by lifting up your hands and praying. I know in the Baptist church, sometimes it scares people to let, raise your hands. We think that we got to be sophisticated, that we can't raise our hands, we can't do uh, different postures in worship, but the raising of your hand is a posture of surrender. And if you don't like raising your hand, you really won't like what Phoenix is doing down here on Sunday morning worship. I'm glad this side of the group cannot see him. He's hard to control. He's hard to control. Because he gets excited, he gets moving, he gets going. But I'd rather have someone moving and going than poking and prodding. When you think about the police, when they're after a criminal, they're chasing him, they pull up their gun, what do they say? Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Why? Because it is a position of surrender. It is one of your most vulnerable positions you can be in with your hands up. I, I can see your hands. You can't do anything with them. I can come to you now like all these kind. Of, you're in a vulnerable surrender position. And when we raise our hands to the Lord, and you don't have to do that in service, you can do that in your prayer closet, wherever you want to be. Just raise your hands to the Lord as a position of surrender. And notice how he begins with the word men. Men, lead the way. Surrender to the Lord. Say, God, use me. Say, God, I have nothing to offer. <laughs> but you can have all of me. And use me in a way that brings you the most glory. May we as a church be a place of truth. May we as a church be a place of grace. And may we as a church be a place of prayer. And may that not only be true for us as a church, but may that be true of us as a person. That we be a person of truth, a person of grace, a person of prayer. If not, we're better off closing these doors and doing something else. We are God's people and we've been commanded by God through His Word. We have been shown grace by God through His Son Jesus. And we must be a people on our knees crying out to God to save those who don't know Him before it's everlasting too late. When we do those things well, we will reach the world for Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we love You and we praise You. We thank You so much for Your most holy word. God, we pray 
as we have read your word and we've studied your word, Lord, we pray that you will, by the power of your spirit, move in our hearts to encourage us. You know every need, every heart, every situation, every burden and every stress. God, I pray that this word from Paul to Timothy can be an encouragement to us today, a reminder of what we do and why we do it, to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we do not bend when it comes to the truth of the gospel. We stand strong on this truth. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you move in our hearts to help us be gracious and kind as you've been gracious and kind to us. Lord, your grace is so long-suffering and patient. Lord, help us. And Lord, help us to be a people of prayer. Prayer expecting the power of God. Expecting the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, when we pray, we come with an expectant heart. We come with a thankful heart. And Lord, we come and we surrender to you even now and ask you to have your will and your way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and respond to the way that is pleasing to the Lord? The Savior is way. be seated. We thank you for being here this morning.
pray God's blessings upon you this upcoming week. Got a few announcements for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Um, in Awana News, this Wednesday night uh, from 6.30 to 7.30 in the Awana Room, we will have a teacher's workers meeting. Um, and so if you uh, will meet 6.30, 7.30, the kids are going to have a movie night in the fellowship hall. Um, if, you are, if you did not volunteer last year, but you would like to be a part of it, we invite you to attend as we walk through what this semester is going to look like. But that is Wednesday at 6.30. Um, and then we've got uh, a men's conference at Heartland Church. Um, is this Friday night from 6.30 to 8.30. If you're interested in going and being a part of that group, please let me know by today um, so I can register us and prepare us to go to that. But that's at Heartland Church, Friday night, 6.30 to 8.30. It is a conference over sexual purity. And so if, you, if you're a male and you would like to go, please let me know today if you can. Um... And then next Sunday, after the morning service, we're going to have a meeting for children's ministry update. This is for anybody who'd like to come that wants to know more about the search process uh, for our children's ministry, and then also about the fall semester coming up for our children's ministry. But please sign up so we know how many is coming. We will provide food for that. Uh, but we would invite you to come and be a part of the children's ministry update from the search committee. Um, on next Sunday morning after church, please sign up. It's for everyone. And then August the 30th, we have a church-wide work night. That's a Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, anybody who would like to help out, we're going to be tearing some things down here. We're going to be setting some things up over there uh, and getting prepared for renovation that is coming up. September 3rd will be our first Sunday morning in the Reach Out Center, and we're going to be there uh, until about January is what it's looking like right now. Uh, but if you have any questions about that, please let me know. And then on September 17th, we're having a hometown hero softball game. What this is going to be this year, we're celebrating those who are in education, so teachers and staff and cafeteria workers, anyone who works in the field of education is going to play on the heroes team. And then we're going to have a Rosebuyer team. So if anybody wants to play for Rosebuyer, you'll need to sign up. Let me know. There's a Google link we're emailing out each week, uh, but I can get that to you. And then on September the 24th, we're having a women's event. Um, it is at Ron Award's house. Um, and so that is September the 24th at 5 p.m. Please see Rana for more information. But if you'll stand to your feet, we're going to be dismissed this morning. Thank you for being here today, praying God's blessing upon you. And then our servant leadership team, we have a meeting in room 106 just right after the morning service. But let us go to a Lord in prayer as we dismiss. Kyle Dell, would you mind leading us in our closing prayer?